in three, two, one. Need more ideal clients? Want to set more discovery calls and sales appointments? Want to overcome your resistance to cold calling and create a predictable sales machine that gets you more high-value conversations and clients? Then you're going to enjoy my conversation with author, speaker, and consultant, Scott Channel. Well, hi, Scott. Welcome to the program. We're delighted to have you. Happy to be here, Michael. Thank you. Now, where are we talking to you from today? Where are you at today? I'm in Gloucester, Massachusetts. So if you've ever seen the movie, The Perfect Storm or Coda or Manchester by the Sea, you know exactly where I am. Beautiful, beautiful area. Thanks for joining us. We're really excited about having you on the program. We're going to be talking about finding new clients, selling the meeting. You've written, you're a prolific writer. Actually, I've been following your material for, geez, it seems like a decade now and really love your material. So I'm just absolutely thrilled that you've been able to join us on the program. Now, as an entrepreneur, you've worked for over 30 years for yourself. How did you decide the path that you were going to take after university? It was just totally by accident. For whatever reason, I really never had a job in my life. <laughs> Very few that I had in the beginning were short-lived and always ended disastrously. And so I got used to, even during high school and college and graduate school, having my own business. And believe it or not, I used to build swimming pools. So Goodness. I was always fascinated by being able to put an ad in the paper as a young kid and have people call me and talking to them and then going out to sell a repair project or something like that. And I could make more money in a weekend than most kids were making at a regular job and a month. And I like being on my own. So for me, it was very natural to be self-employed. It was unnatural to actually have a boss. I'd be I, a terrible I, employee. I get it. You're totally unemployable. I'm the same way. Totally right. unemployable. And it's a good path because it's an easy decision, isn't it? Once you decide to work on your own, you get to dictate your own income levels, the amount of time you do. And a lot of our listeners have side gigs. They're working entrepreneurs. They have their own business. They work within corporations. So totally get it. Let's talk about your most recent book, Finding Ideal Clients, just came out, but you've got to sell the meeting and sales scripts and appointment settings. So this is all about acquiring new clients this episode and how do we find them? How do we gain access to them? How do we build trust, establish our trust and authority and credibility with them and get the meeting? That's the obvious objective. And your new book, Finding Ideal Clients, I think just came out this summer. How do we become visible and the obvious choice? So it's marketing strategy and it's how do we get a competitive advantage and how do we turn our rivals' best prospects into your new customers? Why the book? What was the need that you thought, hey, I need to write a book on this one. The Finding Ideal Clients is a rock solid basics of marketing 101 book. And it's interesting because in my appointment setting or working with companies to set appointments, I get into that because I started out with a general marketing agency helping businesses in the old days. It was yellow pages. It was newspaper. Right. It was cable. Really good at direct response. So I had plenty of opportunities to lose my money and other people's money by putting ads in and so forth. And over time, you learn uh, what gets a response and gets people to call you up. So at some point, someone called me up. They had a telecenter that interestingly was booking meetings for home heating oil. And they said, you seem to be good at scripting or writing copy. Would you help our team and see if you can help them book more meetings? So I did that. 
they got a great result. And then by accident, I saw an ad in the Globe from a fairly local company that was booking meetings only with companies that had a thousand or more employees. And they had had four attempts to do it. They were a great company, did not have success getting into the right doors. And for whatever reason, they hired me. And that really is where I had the opportunity to test, test, test. So keep in mind, in those days, I'm calling CEOs or executive VPs of companies of more than a thousand employees. So this is the freaking 90s. Okay. We didn't have the data. You want to talk cold calling. That was cold calling. No kidding. And it was in that test environment that I really developed the system that was the focus of the sell the meeting book. And the finding ideal clients book came about because I just get the impression that the reason a lot of people don't do better with marketing or sales is they really don't have a decent grounding on the very basics. Right. And not grounded in, hey, I've got to hit the right targets. And there's a certain frequency and there's certain verbiage or way to speak to them or communicate value that gets them to actually want to say yes or reach out. You're not going to be very effective. So I wrote that book as sort of a primer on the very basics that I thought really would help anybody that was getting started either locally or even if you had an emerging business or an SMB would be very helpful to get people focused on the right issues. So that's why I wrote that one. Sure. And it's interesting. You've dissected a lot of people don't realize in sales professionals and entrepreneurs or business people don't realize what it takes. And so they try and wing it and you've developed a process and we're going to get into that process in a few minutes, but you've always had a love for the chasing the sale, which is not normally innate. People Most people hate it, the thought of it. They're going, oh, I couldn't sell. I hate selling. You say you've always loved the chase of sales. What advice do you have, Scott, for your clients who don't have that same love for the chase or the hunt? Well, love the result, okay? Love the result that you get when you do it right. Love the process or love the craftsmanship, being good at your craft, okay, in terms of interrelating with your prospects. There is a sort of a craftsmanship that goes with it. I always like the idea people who don't know me in some way, me or on behalf of a client, touch the right people. Let me underline the right people with a message in the right place, right format that would make them actually want to respond or say yes. And then they come to the door and in the old days, you'd meet them. And then of course, you'd have to enable them to conclude. And notice I say, enable them to conclude that they have all their choices and they do have choices hey, Scott's the one for me. Or if it on behalf of a client and I was selling a meeting with them that, hey, this company is worth my time to meet with. I always got on that whole process of how you can reach people, get them to say yes, score that in the positive column, boom, next. Yeah, it's like you've broken down in your processes and in your books, you do this and you detail it like literally word for word and you give scripts and people can modify those scripts, but they're frameworks in which they can use to gain these micro commitments as they go through the process to get to the point. So you're very intentional in your approach. In other words, when you're going to a meeting or first call, I have a goal. Here's my objective. All I want to do is achieve this goal. Once I achieve this goal, I have the next objective and the next objective as far as process concerned, right? Your use of the word framework, I think, is very important because, and particularly if you have a very low level sale, then essentially you're getting results based on automation and just saying the same low level stuff over and over again. So that's not what we're talking about. But what we're talking about is you have something, people have choices, there's expertise, there's intangibles involved, and 
there is a framework or a method to that madness. Right. And you can be very strict in adhering to a framework that works, but it doesn't sound canned or it doesn't make you into a robot or make you sound unnatural, which frankly, I think people overrate, okay, in terms of, oh, I want everything to sound natural or so forth. I've always been a, hey, value wins the day each and every time. If you're not communicating value to the right audience, nothing else matters. And if you are, they're going to forgive you that you maybe don't quote sound supernatural because you are speaking their tune and they want to hear that stuff. Yeah, a lot of people have resistance, I find, to some of the scripting, and they start off too smooth, and it takes them 30 seconds, 45 seconds, just to get into the conversation with the relevant executive or whoever they're talking to. And you have a very direct, no BS style that people love. And I'm guilty of this. I was looking at my scripts, and they were twice as long as yours and what you recommended. And we learn those scripts from a foundational point of view so that we default to them because we find if we're in a conversation, I have key words that I use. But under stress, we default to what we know and the lines that we know. So by taking your framework and then incorporating those lines, that's our baseline. It's solid stuff. And so why do you think some people have difficulty being direct in business and how's it hurting them? Sure. So you know, your point about, and thank you for saying that, I have a very direct, no BS style that people seem to like. Well, you like it if you agree with what I say. Don't like it. I'm a jerk. Okay. Which is fine. And you have to stand for something. And I think you bring up a great example that illustrates this is where you have to have certain beliefs, what you do adhere to. So for example, a lot of people seem to feel, hey, people are busy. I don't want to waste their time. You've got to get to the point. And all the bobbleheads go, yep, yep, yep. That's what you're going to do. Right. And yet to actually get someone on the call to your point, the first three seconds are critical and they'll babble on with, how are you? I know you're busy. I'm not going to take much time. Bah, bah, bah. Sorry and, for the interruption. Yeah. Sorry for the interruption. I, I am not worthy. I am not not worthy. And then you've blown it. So you can't believe that people are busy. You got to get to the point, respect their time, and then get on the phone where moments matter and babble on, not clarify what you do, how you might help them, what value you might provide and win the game. And I think that's a good example where people really have to clarify, well, what do I really believe right. that gets results? How do I want to conduct myself? And then do my behaviors are my behaviors consistent with my beliefs? And I think what you brought up is a great example of where what people will say they believe, but in practice, it's not what they do. Right. Well, and they don't like being direct. And I found it an adjustment. I was trying to develop rapport first, but the big lesson I got from reading your books was really treat them like a peer when you're calling instead of they're up on a pedestal, treat them like a peer and talk to them like you've maybe already been doing work with them. And I kind of got that feeling from it. In other words, if I'm talking to you, I'm calling you, but I'm calling you as an executive to another executive. And that's how they normally talk. So if you assume you've already got a relationship, it's already established, maybe you've been working with them and approach it from that point of view, instead of a timid, hey, sorry to interrupt, but I'd like to get some time. I'd like to get on your calendar, show you how wonderful we are. You come in right with the value proposition right out of the gate and they like it too. They do like it. In, in, in terms of you've got to speak like a peer, hey, look it. In my days, on behalf of clients in all sorts of industries, many industries that I was clueless about, okay, right. in terms of what <laughs> actually you do, right. my knowledge was literally three minutes deep. But I didn't need to know how to do whatever it was the client was selling. I, I may not be a VP or a CEO, but if you're a caller, you should be confident, hey, 
if I come from a great company, they have a good track record of success, if they're a viable option, that you should have no hesitation or lack of confidence about speaking to a top-level person because you may not know what they know, but you certainly do know and can help them decide whether it's worth their time to take a 30-minute or a 60-minute meeting. In that, you are 100% more knowledgeable than them. So be confident when you speak to people, hey, it's the most normal, natural thing in the world that we should be interacting. And it's the most normal, natural thing in the world that you would say yes and agree to spend time with my client. Right. And you make a good point about the information and the knowledge. In my world, we call it saying one ahead and others might call it being one up on the customer or the client or the prospect. And when I'm calling you, I've got to deliver some value or something you may or may not know. Otherwise, we're not. there's no point for the meeting. You have to deliver the scent of value that is delivered if they go to the next step with you. And that's what you're really selling. Right. That, hey, we know what we're doing. We have valuable information. If you have issues, if you have issues, if you want to make improvements, you don't feel you're getting the value that you should be with your vendor, then we can share with you certain specifics that's going to answer questions, give you better options, it's going to improve your business situation. So you're not providing the answers. All you're doing is giving the scent or the perception, and it has to be true that, hey, if you take this meeting, Here's what you're going to get from it. Even if you don't go to another step with us, that 30 minutes is going to be a worthwhile amount of time for you to invest. That's just huge. And when once we started, well, selling the meeting, we would phone up clients and our team. We'll just simply phone up and we introduce ourselves, our role. And the reason for my call, is we want to schedule a briefing, a 20-minute briefing with you and share with you three trends we see impacting your business over the next 18 to 24 months. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring ActiveCampaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? ActiveCampaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. ActiveCampaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose ActiveCampaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the ActiveCampaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred, How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Scott Channel. Now, you posed a great question that I wanted to come back with. Sure. Why do you think people are hesitant to be direct? And I think that's a really important question. And I think it arises out of the fact that people are afraid to hear no. Right. And they do backflips of rationalizations as to, oh, I don't want to say anything that someone may not like. I don't want to say anything that people may not agree with. They don't want to hear no on anything. But the problem with that is they don't get to separate the buyers from the non-buyers. They're not communicating a message that has some clarity or that resonates with somebody that might give them a check. So because of their own neediness or lack of confidence or whatever you want to say, they water their messaging down so it says nothing to everybody, and it's not really speaking to the people that they want to respond, which is people who recognize the need, 
And they're going to write a check to somebody within the next three to 15 months. And it might be you if you can enable them to believe spending some time with you is the right thing to do. So by going in with a direct message, you're really weeding out and sifting. And you make this clear in your writings as well. You're sifting out the people who are not interested at this time, aren't the buyers, aren't there. You're going through it to look for those pearls, all right? Look for the gems that are in there because some people are. And just think of outbound calling today. I got to tell you, it's boring. It's repetitiveness. Once you figure out what works, Michael, you've got to do the same thing over and over again. Okay? Yeah. Wash, so, rinse, repeat. Yeah. Exactly. And you only have so much time. And to me, when I would think about it, I say, well, do I want to call someone 10 times or send three emails and not knowing whether they have needs or even could use what my client is offering? Isn't it better to be really direct up front and find out, hey, you have a vendor for X. Are you looking for options? How many pencils a month do you use? Right. Side of the street, you want whatever. Okay. Yeah. And then if someone doesn't fit the profile, stop contacting them. If you do that sooner rather than later, mm. that is just Makes sense. basic marketing 101. Don't yeah. spend time and money with people who are not going to buy. You mentioned that you've worked with many diverse industries over the years, and you've worked from dental industry to logistics, to wealth management, to all over the map. In yeah. your experience, do the same strategies for finding the ideal clients usually apply across all industries? Let's go back to a word you used, I think, in your first question. The same framework works across industries, meaning the same guides. In all industries, you need to know how to pick the buyers versus the non-buyers, pick the right customers right. versus you know the ones that are going to be too small. There is a structure of the interaction in terms of how are you going to relate your credibility? What's your sense of what benefits would ring true in your interaction with them and what might they value in an interaction. So the words change. I think of scripting or messaging as component parts. And so you plan out, well, within each component part, I need to communicate credibility. How might I do that? I need to relate certain benefits. What all might I do? And there's a certain structure to that that is consistent across the board. And I will say something to you. I think that people do a disservice to themselves by thinking, okay, and this is a big mistake. In my industry, it's different. My location is right. different. Yeah. Wouldn't fly. No, believe me. It's the same. Across the, it's the same. If anything, where the differences come is the various weight that you put on the component parts. or when you get to issues of frequency or the mode of interaction, whether it be carrier pigeons, email, phone call, yeah. voicemail, whatever, those Things are going to change company to company, but the core reasons why a program is successful or not remain remarkably the same. Yeah, I find it's the content changes, not the process. So I've worked in different industries in my career. And once we get into the homework, we have to learn about their products and their services. Those are unique. That's the content. The process and how people decide and what the emotional and logical calculus that goes into those things, that's the same. We've been making those decisions since the beginning of time. Well, we're both process guys. So I had a rule of thumb and it, there's judgment involved that when I was doing outbound or booking meetings for a client that I wanted 80% of my results to be spit out due to a process that I was working. And I do believe this. If you're working the right system, the right process, 80 to 85% of the results are going to be because you implemented your system 
consistently and well. Then somewhere between 15 or 20 percent, you've got the lunatic fringe, the exceptions to the rule. You're dealing with human <laughs> right. beings. You know, crazy stuff happens. Yeah. And you have to allow for that. But in terms of success, I always kind of, I don't know, I kind of scratch my head. You have someone say, well, you never know. I had this great result once because of this. And it's like, but you can't build a business on exception to the rules. And interestingly, the better you are at a system that consistently spits out the certain result you want 80, 85% of the time, the more good exceptions to the rule tend to come by because you're getting the right people. You've got a clear message. And for some reason that enables more good stuff around the edges to come to you. Right. It's like the universe decides to reward you for at least making an effort on something. You can't quantify it, but it's there. We get luckier. The more we work our processes, the luckier we get. Great way to say it. We get luckier. Yeah, I agree with that. It's interesting with process because people don't put process. They put process in creating products. They put process into creating services and design, but they don't look at their sales process. They wing it and they don't put the effort into actually understanding that there's an art and a science to this. One of the things that I see as an issue, maybe it's just the society we live in with everything's quick. If it isn't quick and easy, it's not worthwhile. Instant. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of people who are doing the right things, but they have unrealistic expectations as to when the results come by. And therefore, they abandon stuff that if they just kept on the path, kept practicing, fine-tuned a bit, fine-tuned the audience, fine-tuned the verbiage, fine-tuned the delivery, they would get where they wanted to go. And yet, if they'll do something, and I'll see people who are changing their approach literally every two weeks, all right? right? Oh, this didn't work. So instead of saying, well, what did work? What should I fine-tune? How can I continue to massage forward without abandoning everything, it seems to be black and white. Well, this didn't work, so I'm going to try something new. They chase randomness. And that's one of the things I really harp when I work with people is, particularly today where automation is so easy and seductive, frankly, is, okay, is that adding to a fire that we already built? Or are we just chasing randomness when we start throwing automation on top of something. So automation helps you when you've got something that's solid and proven and works and you've proofed it out. Okay, great. Automation can help us expand that and lower the cost. But if you've got a mess or if you've got something that's not working, then automation is not going to help you. So you're saying modify the recipe versus try a whole new recipe, modify the existing recipe, put the butter in over here, try a little less oil over there, maybe a little more flour and do some testing and see which ones are working consistently. Because the goal ultimately is we're looking for a predictable revenue machine, right? I put an X amount of time and I get a result out of it. Is there a set amount of time that you recommend for people? Like I find personally, I try and set for me, afternoon. So between three o'clock and four o'clock, I'm usually doing phone calls. Often I go for a walk and I'll have a list with me and I'm making phone calls as I'm going. A bit of multitask, get exercise. Mornings sometimes, like are there days that are better for calling than others? Are there times of the day that work better? And how much time should I do in to keep my energy fresh and so I don't end up loathing this? The most important thing that people can do is be consistent. So I don't care if you do it in the morning, you do it in the afternoon, be consistent with whatever you choose to do. Sure, it might be better off. So if you're B2B, morning is probably a better time. But I'll tell you, if you're not able to make those calls in the morning, then make them in the afternoon and make them count. Um, Be consistent with what you do versus trying to guess what is happening on the other end of the line. Plus, particularly in the beginning, 
people have to practice, you know, they, they have right. to make mistakes. I always tell clients, Hey, I want you to make 10 big mistakes as soon as you can. Okay. Get out there and screw up because right. reality is practice. You're not going to be as good day one as you are on day 30 or day 60. And depending upon the complexity of your offering in the market, it might even take you longer to, to right. really rhythm or hit the things that you feel with confidence work with the buyers. So have reasonable expectations when you start. Yeah, that's a great point. It's finding that ideal time and then create a cadence that you can live with that works and without exhausting yourself. People have a lot of different options when it comes to marketing these days. Where do you think outbound calling for meetings ranks among them? And what are the biggest mistakes people make when they go down this road? Oh man, thank you for asking those questions. This might sound strange coming from a guy that for like 30 years has been Mr. Appointment Setting Guy. Right. If you have a marketing method or a method of getting you the business that you need that is not outbound calling, I think you should do it. Right. right. In terms of outbound calling, it is just a tool. It's just a method. And all marketing methods only work if they're right for you. And if you use them in the right place, and if you use them, you use it well, or right. you can't start an outbound calling program screw it up, call the wrong people, have a lousy script, and then say, I tried that, it didn't work, which is what a lot of people do with a lot of marketing. They try it, they don't implement it correctly, no matter what it is, and then say, oh, it didn't work for me. Well, it could have worked for you. Right, if you they give up too soon. Right spot yeah. and you had executed it in the right way. Right. I have some clients where outbound calling is the means of getting new business, period. Right, right. But other clients use it more strategically. So if you want to open a new market, or if you're going after certain sort of boutique clients, or you're looking to expand, things are a little slow, and you can't wait for your other marketing methods to reach them, well, you go right at them. So a lot of clients will use it as part of an overall plan, maybe to open new markets, maybe to hit certain strategically valuable accounts. So whether you're going to do it because it's going to give you 90% of your new business or 5%, it's still the same process preparation sure. thinking that you have to do. So the tool has got to fit your needs. And in terms of the biggest mistakes, that is just so easy. In appointment setting or setting discovery calls, number one, by far, they call the wrong people. I don't care. I don't know mm. why. It's part of this idea of, well, anybody could be our client. You'll have a team that might have the resources to keep two people busy for a month. And yet they will have a database that would keep 20 people busy for a year. And then they need people to sort through. So they don't fine tune and they don't prioritize who to interact with. Right. 99% of the time, that is the biggest mistake. Second biggest issue is they don't differentiate between buyers and non-buyers. Meaning in terms of your messaging, even if you have a good list, Michael, yep. my rule of thumb is only about 15 to 20% of even a good list is viable. Meaning yeah, viable that on some level, they recognize a need, right. they're going to give some money to someone and within a year or so. And your messaging or your sorting process, as you put it, has got to be fine-tuned to buyers. But you go back to your question about why people don't want to hear no. This is where it costs them because they say, well... 80% of the people I'm talking to have no need. So of course, no matter what you say, you don't get a positive response. No. So they'll say, oh, I'm annoying people. Oh, water down their messaging to have more comfortable conversations with people who aren't going to buy anyway. Right. Rather than saying, hey, right. and this was my fear. When someone picked up the phone and I'm working on a client, all I know is that they were in the profile bullseye. 
Right. And I didn't know what their needs are, what the heck is going on on the other end. But I wanted to say the things that someone who was going to write a check wanted to hear in order to decide to go forward. And I didn't care about what the non-buyers thought. Right. Totally didn't care. I totally. They're not going to remember you anyway. If we interviewed them at the end of the day and go, how many sales calls do you have today? And who was it? They won't know a name. And I always felt that aren't we doing non-buyers a service by being crystal clear, succinct, and saying what we need to say so that they could decide yes or no and move on. To me, if you want to be respectful of non-buyers, I think that's more respectful than blathering on and being unclear and not telling him what you do and screaming, I'm not ready multiple times. Do you recommend when you're calling and making calls, obviously lots of times we're going to get the voicemail monster. Do you recommend leaving messages for them as if you're connected or just leaving the message and call them back again at a different time? Yeah, it's part of the mix. So when you do an outreach process and I talk about in my books, the core that I believe in is something I call the three cycles of three, which just simply means, hey, look, it it takes a lot of touches or effort to reach someone. So your process has got to include 12 or more calls overall, or you're not even in the ballpark where you can expect results. So the way I would work initially is just in cycles of three, couple of calls, first couple of calls, I'm picking up recon information. I'm trying to speak to them, but if they're not available, I'm not leaving a clue that I'm calling. But on the third dial, I would then leave the touches. So I'd leave the voicemail, the email message. Sometimes today, you get, you know, LinkedIn messaging come in, you send the carrier pigeon out to drop a note by. So that's the end of the cycle. You wait three business days, you do it again. Couple of calls, they're not in. You leave no evidence that you call. But on the third time, you leave all your touches. You do it one more time. So that gets you into a minimum of uh, nine dials, people are going to be touched by you through voicemail and email most of the time, maybe some other method, depending upon your overall processes. Sometimes clients will use drop-offs or traditional mail. And there are times when people integrate other tools into the process. And if in the course of your calling, in all these times that you call where you don't get someone, but you're still picking up recon information, because let's go back to something you said earlier, it's a giant sorting process. So if you can find out, hey, what side of the street are you on? How many pencils do you use a month? Right. Who's your vendor for wastebaskets? Whatever the question is, you're sorting people by priority. So you can now reallocate your very limited time right. to those who are most probable. And one thing I always encourage people to do is to th- focus on probabilities, not possibilities. I think one of the boo-boos that people make is they live in this, well, you never know land. Well, yeah, you never know it's not good enough. When it comes to outbound coin and so forth, you've got to know, hey, I've got a bullseye and I'm hitting that bullseye. And I think this is where my best probability is. Yeah. And you talk about that. You say marketing is the act of assessing the probability of human behavior. So in that case, is human behavior predictable in your view? And then how do you determine your highest probability tactics to get your best clients? So, well, we certainly can't predict what's going to happen in any one call or with any one person. However, when we start thinking in terms of groups, all right, we can determine that among a group, behavior A or process A gets three times the results of process B. And you get the most out of group. And let me give you an example. So I have done a lot of work in an industry where we know for certain that 50% of what they consider to be great clients comes from only 3%. Wow. So in terms of predictability, 
you know, what rational person is not going to call that 3% first that has 50% of the business versus the 97% that has the other 50%. But the mistake that a lot of people make, and I see it all the time, Michael, is people get into, well, you never know, there's some good ones in there, and they end up not differentiating between the groups. Right. So that 3% that has 50% of their business gets woefully inadequate love and attention. Okay. Right. And then people who are way outside of the profile are getting touches that they, they yeah, really yeah, don't. Waste of time. Our podcast is called Becoming Preferred and you, you know something about that and how do you become preferred? So let me ask you this. How do you position yourself as the preferred source or a value source when your ideal client is ready to buy? Well, you have to be perceived as something better than they'd find in a Google search is the best way that I That's would <laughs> excellent. Uh, to describe it. And, and I'll just tell a quick story. When sure. I was starting out doing this, I set 2000 meetings and I used to gig it, as I called it, up and down New England. All right. Always looking for the next job, right. doing one job, doing the other one. And I finally said, oh God, I can't, I can't do this anymore. So I had this one big project and I said, I've got to lift myself up. I can't be the hardworking regional schlepper anymore. I have to do the national right. market. And in order to do that, I needed to write a book. So that was my first book in 2004, Setting Sales Appointments. And that book sold in the days, Michael, when you had to ship your books to Amazon. Right. Remember those days? Yeah. And sold over 7,000 copies and so the idea is, first of all, you have to have the goods, all right? I think you have to project a certain degree of expertise in a specialty. And specialization is what people are going to pay for. And they have to feel that you are sort of above the crowd. And first of all, you want to be that expert, but you also have to clothe yourself with what experts do. So you speak, okay? So right. that's the number one method that people perceive you know what you're doing. You right. speak. Then writing and publishing are the next thing. So think about how you enable people to conclude, hey, this person, this company or this person does know what they're talking about. When I had nothing, I can remember in the old days when you had a radio show and it was really on a radio station, right. I had no business or very little business. I would interview famous authors and CEOs on like a 30 watt radio station. Right, right. But in terms of positioning me, gee, the guy's interviewing all these successful people and these famous people, he must know what he's talking about. Exactly. We do the same thing with the podcast. And when I started my speaking career, you know, I could speak and I could train, but I put on conferences. I bring in five well-known speakers, Mark Victor Hansen, the Brian Tracy's, all the top dogs at the time. And I'd bring them in. I put myself on the program and I was the opening act and people would go, well, I know those five guys, but I don't know that guy. And well, he must be good because he's with those guys. And really it's about positioning. You have to put yourself in, you've said it, I call it the trusted advisor. You've got to come across as a trusted advisor, someone who's valuable, that's going to add some value to me, or at least make me think about something or challenge me on something or a status quo, because otherwise status quo is going to stay the same. And it's coming across with your messaging and having the courage to actually speak directly to that opportunity, whatever that opportunity is. Well, Scott, this has definitely been interesting. You're absolutely prolific. I would really recommend people read your books. They can go to your website. Best place to find them is on amazon.com or scottchannel.com. That's Scott, and then you've got two T's. 
two N's and two L's in that name. And if they Google you on Amazon, they can find your books, sell the meetings, sales scripts, finding the ideal clients, your latest project, all great stuff in there. And if you sell for a living, in my mind, it's fundamental. It's like having a calculator if you're going into math class. You really illustrate some good frameworks and you've got literally over 30 years of what works and what doesn't. And I found lots of value with it. And I strongly recommend for our listeners, if you need to figure out conversations and what to say and when to say it and how to say it, go to scottchannel.com and get his books. I think you'll find well worth your time, well worth the read and their resources. So your books are designed to be able to jump into them and you can jump around in those books as well. So Scott, thank you for being a guest on the show. Thank you, Michael. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My production team is Beth Smith and Kendra Vickers. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting. Goodbye.